Hey, Sana. Hello, hello. How's it going? Oh, good. I'm working. You know how it goes. Yeah. Uh, I've got this piece on France dropping next week, so excited for what that will bring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, didn't you have like that, what, that viral tweet or that pinned tweet for a while about France? It's still there. Yeah, it's basically, I mean, that just sums up my politics right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's still, I, literally, by the way, hunted down that movie um, and uh, we'll be using it in, uh, in it, I use it in the video itself. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it sums it up. It sums it up. There's this weird, like, perception of France, I think, in the U.S., and, like, a lot of that, I think, is because of, uh, you know, the Iraq War, that, like, somehow it's this, uh, you know, paragon of, like, I, I don't know, like, liberal virtue or something like that, and, yeah. you know, that it's not, like, particularly racist or xenophobic there or anything, and, like, that's, that's not true. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, it's like, so that's what the piece is about. It basically kind of looks at um, the ways in which Americans envision and understand France and what that's looked like historically, because France is also the U.S.'s oldest ally and um, kind of peeling that back a bit and how even like coverage that's a bit critical of France, right, in a way that it should be um, of like uh, French policies, especially as they target the Muslim populations um the north african population specifically algerians um you know uh even that still kind of leans into a lot of french state narratives about itself the country and so the piece like that drops next week is about you know france is actually a failed nation because it failed to build a nation out of a country that it sought to build uh following over you know two centuries of colonial rule so yeah totally light stuff you know yeah, yeah. Well, you know, just just some nice, uh, nice. Role. I mean, it, it's pretty timely considering the the uh, Marine Le Pen, uh, you know, kind of right yeah. on Macron's heels, and Macron himself obviously is awful uh, yeah. for, for like distinct uh, reasons to Le Pen, but you know, for yeah. for his own reasons certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think. Um... I mean, after seeing the outcome of the the first round yesterday, um, I think there is no reason to think that Macron has this in the bag. There's absolutely and, and people keep saying that, but people are also forgetting that the polls, um, you know, that were projected for the first round had a very different outcome, even between Macron and uh, Le Pen in terms of like what their uh, what even if, if 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 these were to be the two, like what the difference would be. So. The fact that they're neck and neck and it's just a couple of percentage points, um, I don't think we should underestimate the, the possibility of uh, Le Pen presidency uh, on April 24th, which is ter- absolutely terrifying. Not that Macron is, is great in any sense, not, you know, but like a, a Le Pen pres- a presidency would be horrific. So friend of the show, uh, Ben Judah, who... Um... Uh, listeners may remember from uh, the, the interview that we did kind of, you know, about kind of the modern history of Russia um, and and kind of and, and Putin in general and, and, you know, the oligarchs and kind of, you know, how it how it made the transition from uh, the Soviet era to the modern era. Um, he he posted this kind of comparison and, you, you know, he stressed that it, it it's like half in jest, but also like somewhat serious if you look at the numbers uh for brexit and for uh le pen um it's very similar like like macron much like leave uh winning most of the time and then there's like one outlier poll like pretty much the same time uh that the le pen uh poll was out and uh anyway I, i think that anybody who thinks that um yeah. You know, France is just going to reelect Macron no matter what. Uh, is should be really thinking about that very carefully because I'm I'm really not sure that that's that's what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I think we've seen the series of fantastic decisions Europeans across the continent have made in the last few years. So 
uh, yeah, it's going to be, I think, an interesting, um, yeah, I'm dreading it. I'm really dreading uh, April 24th, which is when the final round is. I'm like, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be tough. Um, and uh, maybe, maybe we'll talk to you again then so that we can get uh, more of a sense of, you know, hopefully maybe we'll be talking about a close call. But again, you know, Macron uh, winning is not like necessarily a good thing. It's just no, and, a not as bad thing. And just um, one last thing on that is like, yeah, go ahead. you know, is that like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that after this seeing if Macron wins, he will see how close it was to someone like Le Pen. And uh, I think he will move further to the right because he's not even a centrist, right? centrist, right? Which is how he's, he, he went from being kind of portrayed as a liberal to now being like, a, oh, he's like a centrist. It's like, by what standards is he a centrist given all the domestic authoritarian policies he's enacted, especially targeting um, uh, French Muslims and also the left um, and environmentalists, et cetera. But uh, I think he will move even further to the right, which seems to be now the, the, the base, a baseline for French politics over the last 10, 12 years, especially has been moving to the right. So, um, right. Yeah. I mean, he, like he, you know, he's, he said he wants to be an, I mean, like he, he is telling everybody what he wants to do. I mean, at a certain point you have to be kind of, uh, willfully ignorant to, um, to not see that, which is kind of a nice way to introduce, uh, our main topic and, I should actually introduce the show. Uh, you are listening, of course, to the Flashpoint Podcast. I am your host, Owen Higgins. Um, today, I'm joined by my friend, the journalist, uh, Sana Saeed, uh, who does a lot of great work for uh, Al Jazeera, especially, you know, kind of looking at the media and and looking at, I, I guess that, you know, one of the ways that I would maybe describe your work is that you kind of look at the way that um, certain aspects of maybe U.S. society, U.S. politics are looked at by not only uh, the media, but also, you know, our institutions and, and, the, uh, and, and just the way that we think about things is, can, can sometimes be quite different than the rest of the world, or maybe even a lot of the time is different than the rest of the world. Uh, and so who we're going to talk about today is kind of a, you know, a good example of this. Um, we're going to be talking about former Democratic Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Democrat from Hawaii, I believe she's turning 41 today. Today is her birthday. Uh, that was not intended when we set up this uh, podcast, but uh, we're certainly going to take advantage of the opportunity that we have here uh, to talk about her on her special day. Um, and, you know, uh, anybody who's familiar with my work knows this, but if you're not, um, you know, I have been writing about Gabbard and her affinity for the far right and her social conservatism for about uh, six years now. Um, I've been ringing this bell. And you know, around, you know, back in 2016, I'll, I'll kind of give a little bit of, of, of background here. Uh, back in 2016, back in, 20, back in 2015, Gabbard was kind of seen as a rising star in the Democratic Party. Uh, she was uh, on the DNC. Um, she, you know, she was earning a reputation for reaching across the aisle, for working with Democrats and Republicans alike. She was a veteran. Uh, she was from Hawaii, much like the president at the time was. Uh, she was um, a jock. You know, th there's a New York Times profile from December 2015, which kind of, you know, just talks on and on about how great it is that she, you know, she goes out and she jogs with, with you know, members of the Democratic and Republican Party. And it's, you know, it's all really great. And it's, you know, I'll call it kind of uh, tied into her uh, background in the military. And they also kind of uh, repeat this idea that she's anti-imperialist, which, which we're going to get into a little bit here. Um, and then uh, I think it was in March or April 2016, maybe it was even as early as February, she drops out of the DNC very publicly uh, in protest of the way that the National Party is treating Bernie Sanders at the time who, of course, is running against uh, Hillary Clinton for the Democratic nomination. Now, this move kind of propels her into a kind of superstardom among a certain type of progressive. Uh, and, and the type of progressive that I'm talking about here uh, is the type of person who uh, still thought that Bernie could win even after he lost. 
um, and was kind of, you know, uh, flailing around for whatever possibly could be held onto as, you know, an indication that, uh, that there was still a chance. Um, and Gabbard, and this is back in 2016, right? So, and, and Gabbard certainly took advantage of this. Um, I, I actually, at the time, I was living in western Massachusetts in a city called Pittsfield, and there was a guy who I knew, uh, you know, through my local reporting job, who was involved with local politics there. His name was Ray Alt. And the reason that I'm bringing him up is that he started a group, like, shortly after Bernie dropped out called Run Tulsi Run. This is a Facebook group. I think it has, like, hundreds of thousands of followers now. Um, and was, you know, has, has been uh, one of the main drivers of her campaign and kind of her... Uh, uh, for lack of a better term, kind of cult of personality that kind of surrounds her a little bit. Um, you know, th- there there is a sense uh, within her most like kind of devout supporters that she can do no wrong. Um, that you know, any any kind of mention of of any of her her moves to uh, the right on anything are are just um, you know empty attacks. Um, I have I, I I personally am a member of uh, her enemies list. Uh, a a, a spreadsheet was released that my name was on as, as one of many uh, members of the media who, who they considered uh, to be uh, hostile. Um, so anyway, so it, it kind of in between like this time, you know, if you started to dig into Tulsi, uh, you know, after she, um, after she, you know, kind of endorsed Bernie and then, you know, kind of became like the new hope for some people, uh, became very clear that there were some pretty concerning things going on. Uh, for example, uh, she's very close to Narendra Modi and his BJP uh, party in India. They are uh, far-right uh, Hindu fascists uh, who who are in charge of the government over there now in India. Uh, absolutely terrifying, especially for Muslims. Um, the, I mean, the situation there... Uh, is bad, and it seems like every single time that you look at it, it only gets worse. Uh, you know, a few years ago, Modi had uh, Muslims and other people in the uh, f- east-northeast of the country building their own concentration camps that they were, you know, expected to be put into. Uh, right now, they're Hindu mobs going uh, around India. And also, by the way, there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ethnic tension there. Uh, you know, there, there have been Muslim mobs as well. You have to remember, with India, is such a massive, massive country uh, that even though uh, Muslims are the majority there, uh, there I think there are like 200 million of them. I mean, there's a lot of people there, uh, so uh, there's a lot of tension and and a lot of of ethnic violence going on, and a lot of it has been uh, kind of promoted and and encouraged by Modi and his government, uh, with whom Tulsi is very close with. Uh, she also has some other worrying. Politics, uh, many of which come from her background in Hawaiian politics. Now, before she went uh, over to Iraq as as a member of the military in the early 2000s, she did serve in the uh, Hawaiian State House, uh, during which time she was opposed to gay marriage and even civil unions. Uh, her father is a notorious homophobe and social conservative in Hawaiian politics, and the, really the only reason that these guys are Democrats in the first place because you have to be in order to gain any kind of power to get anywhere uh, in, in, in state politics there. So, uh, since, so since 2016, uh, Gabbard has kind of cultivated this idea of this kind of uh, bridging the gap between fringes of the right and left. Uh, you know, she, she did this kind of in the run-up to her failed uh, presidential campaign in 2020. But since then, uh, and since lo- leaving office uh, at the end of 2020, uh, she's only gone further to the right, and I think that one of the main reasons that we decided to do this show was, uh, you know, she came out with, you know, this defense of the "Don't Say Gay" bill uh, in Florida, and she's only been going like further and further to right on these social conservative issues. And and again, I have to say that um, it, it's 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 certainly my belief, looking at her career, that she's always been. Um, far to the right on social issues, but now she's being open for open with it. She's been on Fox news quite a bit. Uh, she's, she is cultivating a new audience. Um, and it's becoming harder and harder to kind of see her as anything other than, uh, than the, than the right wing, uh, politician that she is. So I think I've talked enough, but, uh, son, if you just kind of want to 
want to uh, chime in here and kind of give your take? Because I know that you have some uh, pretty strong opinions about Tulsi as well. Thanks so much again for having me, Owen. And also, I think this is how we first connected a few years ago was um, through our mutual kind of uh, <laughs> horror over the over a very particular segment of the Twitter left uh, in particular, kind of embracing, supporting and uh, empowering uh, Gabbard online. And it was like, what is happening here? Um, yeah, I mean, you, you gave a really good summary of a lot of things regarding, uh, Gabbard's background. I just want to reiterate some of those things and also, um, give a bit more detail. So I think it is always really important to remember the, 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 like in 2016, when Gabbard really, you know, made this splash on the public, uh, in the public, uh, eye, right. She, she comes out in support of Bernie Sanders so much so that she actually ends up like, you know, resigning from as a vice chair for the DNC. And she was also presented as this um, kind of one of the faces of the future of the progressive movement, right? Because she was seen by many um, as being uh, progressive and someone who maybe had sort of a, a, you know, a not so progressive background early few years, but, you know, in 2012, even like she apologized for her um, for her position on same-sex marriage or marriage equality um, and, and all her anti-LGBTQ uh, advocacy uh, prior to that. Um, and so people believe that she was someone who was, uh, you know, on issues of health care, on social issues, um, was, again, someone who was progressive. Uh, around the same time, you did have a, a very small community, but loud community, um, uh, espousing their kind of concerns about uh, Gabbard and in, in particular her uh, her relationship with the RSS, which which stands for Rashtriya Swamisevik Sangh. I'll just call them the Sangh. And the Sangh is, you know, as as Owen mentioned, it's um, it's 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 so it's the parent party of the uh, BJP, which is the ruling party. Oh, sorry, sirens. Um, which is the ruling party of of India, and that's the one that Modi belongs to, of course. Um, and not only that, but but the Sangh actually does have its roots very explicitly, not like in a conspiratorial sense, but very, very explicitly has its roots in um, early uh, 20th century fascist theory and fascist politics. Right. They take a lot from Mussolini and others. So this isn't like um, in, uh, there's a very through line here. And, and I would also venture to say and I think it's important to underscore that. Hindutva or Sanghis, or which is what people will call Hindu nationalists, it's not simply about uh, religion, right? It's not simply about religious identity, um, but rather it's very, what we see is that um, a lot of these Hindutva texts even explicitly call out how the Hindu does not have, the Hindu who is, who is a nationalist does not have to be one who is uh, of religion, right? So it's, it's, it's less about, I would say, religion as much as it is about a very particular political outlook, um, which is also ethnically based, right? Um, in terms of, as we know that in India, um, the caste system, I mean, across South Asia, but especially in India, the, the Hindu caste system plays a huge role. So even that plays a role in, and I guess who, who, and who would be considered um, Hindu enough uh, uh, when it comes to the, the Hindu nation uh, under Hindutva. So I want to make sure that that's very clear that it's not as simple as religious nationalism, but also there's, it's like a ethno-political um, uh, uh, nationalism, which even like, you know, people who aren't Hindu uh, religiously can be actually made a part of it. Maybe sus like suspiciously, but can yeah, still yeah. be made a part of it. So, so, so um, I, I just want to jump in here and just say like, uh, just to make clear what the distinction is here, mm -hmm. that like the reason uh, that Gabbard is close to Modi though, is it like she, like she's not Indian. She has, yeah. she's um uh, she's a uh, Pacific Islander. Um, but it is because like, like, th like that yes. is, uh, the kind of the baseline of, of their, uh, shared politics. Obviously, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot more to it, but, mm -hmm. um, but, but, uh, but that like the religious aspect of it is kind of like the entry point. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm not trying to obviously like undercut that, but I think it's just important to highlight that it's a little complicated too on the ground. Um, and with regards to Gabbard, I mean, she has, uh, it's been documented her financial kind of relations with, um, you know, the, uh, the Sung, uh, with Sung affiliated donors. I mean, even before she was elected, first elected in, in 2012, I think like it was some somewhere between 21% or 24%, not quite sure of her, um, 
donations actually came from members and executives of of uh, organizations which were affiliated directly with the Sangh in India. She's met with Modi over five times um, in the last few years as well. Um, and these are conversations you don't hear much about in terms of what's been discussed. Um, in addition to this, uh, you know, so going back, you know, she she's kind of lauded as this progressive face um, and she she took on uh, what a lot of, I would say, self-identifying, you know, leftists on Twitter would call, quote unquote, anti-imperialist positions. And there was one particular position that they were pointing to as kind of proof of this is how we know she's this is this is why we need to support her. She's taking on a position that no one else is taking on. And that was her position on Syria and specifically regarding that the United States should not be intervening on in Syria. Although, of course, as we all know, the United States has been intervening, was intervening, especially in Syria since the get go. So it was but it was specifically regarding bombing Syria um, or no. Or, and she was against a no fly zone, et cetera. Um, and she, you know, she also met uh, in, I believe it was 2016, 2017. Someone correct me if I'm wrong with uh, she went on a tour of Lebanon and Syria, meeting with various political leaders and ends up also having kind of a what well, we were told, an unplanned meeting with President Assad. Now, if you know anything about like how any of this works, it's very, very hard to have a, just an unplanned meeting going into Syria in the midst of a war, uh, having a meeting with, uh, with, the, with the president uh, of, of the regime. And so, um, you know, and, and again, she's, she's being heralded as this, this anti-interventionist and therefore anti-imperialist. But of course, there's nothing actually anti-imperialist about Tulsi Gabbard in any real sense of what that word should mean to anyone who identifies as a leftist, and especially if you're a le leftist whose, you know, understanding of your leftist ideology and politics are rooted in a dialectical understanding of what imperialism is and how it functions. Um, you know, a lot of these individuals uh, really seem to ignore conveniently her positions on other things. So, for instance, as I mentioned, her ties to the RSS, uh, which is a fascist organization, um, her, and of course her support for Modi, um, who, amongst many other things, uh, you know, empowering, uh, you know, this, uh, this, 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 uh, you know, Hindu nationalist uh, sentiment and and uh, and and repression of Muslims and kind of even, uh, uh, you know, taking away citizen rights as well from many uh, Muslim Indians in the in the state of Assam. Um, in addition to all that, he also stands accused of uh, the the of being kind of the of 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 supporting by not doing anything um, the 2002 Gujarat massacre in which there were you know uh, several thousand Muslims who were killed in these kind of um, uh, communal riots that took place between Muslims and Hindus, um, and so you know she she constantly references quote unquote jihadism and radical Islam and. You know, we all know she famously critiqued Obama for refusing to words to, to use the word Islamic terrorism. Um, and yet on the same account, she finds the term Hindu national extremely problematic because she's like, this is simply a case of people being proud of their religion. And so a term like Hindu nationalism is a problematic term for Gabbard. Um, she's also taken very pro-Israel positions. Uh, a lot of people who identify as uh, leftists who support her um, actually will say, you know, will seem to, again, ignore that, like, she has taken on very pro-Israel positions, but they will point to, oh, well, you know, Tulsi, I think it was in, 20, when was it, in, um, uh, when was it that, I can't recall exactly when, but they, they're, you know, that, oh, Tulsi condemned Israel's use of live ammunition at the Gaza border, completely ignoring, again, how, like, Tulsi has come out again and again and again, in support of uh, Israel, saying that it's a very important relationship, and that, of course, also plays into, um, you know, the the politics of uh, the RSS of the BJP, which is extremely pro-Israel as well, and kind of looks to Israel as as a model for for building not just the state, but also um, of how to deal with quote unquote Muslims and Muslim terrorists and all that kind of stuff, um, and how to uh, police their borders. Uh, and in addition to that, there's also her, you know, voting record on on uh, Syrian refugees. Um, so while she talks about, you know, the, the United States not having to intervene in Syria, she's also, you know, in 2015 voted against allowing Syrian refugees to resettle, uh, Syrian and Iraqi refugees to resettle in the United States. And as, you know, Owen also mentioned that 
her foray into so-called, you know, culture wars over gender and sexuality that are currently taking place. Um, I think that a huge, a huge, huge, uh, uh, or a huge platform that Gabbard actually received was in large part due to the support that she received from our other favorite person, um, Glenn Greenwald. Um, I think that between that and the push that she got from a lot of individuals associated with the gray zone, um, uh, unfortunately pushed her as being someone who was, um, again, anti-imperialist, anti-U.S. intervention. Uh, and I think a lot of this also points to the vacuity of anti-imperialism without any understanding of what imperialism of what imperialism is, what anti-imperialism is, and um, a- a- where anyone who stands as like I'm against wars for some reason is adopted as being like anti-imperialist and therefore quote unquote except, on our side. Right, ex- except that's not even like necessarily no. true. It's, it's no, exactly, like, exa- yeah. not even necessarily true. So um, I just I just uh, also want to add that. Um, uh, you know, one of one of the things that Gabbard said uh, during her comments on Syria, you know, like the which 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 spanned a lot of years, but um, it wasn't so much that she didn't want uh, the U.S. to be involved uh, because you know for any like moral reason or any concern over civilians or you know any any concern over the broader war. Uh, in fact. Uh, she celebrated when Russia said that they were going to be bombing uh, Syria themselves. Uh, it wasn't the fact that the bombing was going on, and it wasn't the fact uh, that a great uh, a greater power was going to be uh, getting involved in the civil war. Uh, the problem was that the U.S. was going to be uh, the power doing it and spending uh, U.S. capital and and you know using u.s arms to do it uh the the actual effects of the war uh she didn't care about now uh there are certain arguments in favor of that position that 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 i understand um you know like ron paul uh made those certainly during the war on terror um and and that's whatever but uh it's it's incorrect i think to frame that as being anti-war or anti-imperialism uh, all it is is saying that um, we just don't want to be the ones dropping the bombs. We want the bombs to be dropped, but we just don't want to be the ones dropping the bombs. And this is kind of, you know, a familiar thing uh, with Gabbard. This is something that she she, she has done quite frequently. Um, and it is really just perplexing to me how, how some figures, I mean, you know, look, obviously Greenwald is a conservative hack. You know, like like there's nothing there's nothing left wing about him, but I know that uh, a lot of the gray zone affiliated guys uh, like to like like to pr- you know present themselves as left leaning. Although I don't know how how much you know that, that that argument is really credible at this point, but um, you know they do like to present themselves that way. Uh, and uh, you know to say that Gabbard is taking these positions for a principled uh, left leaning stance. Uh, or left-leaning reason is 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 simply uh, inaccurate, um, and I think that we're really starting to see that not only in you know her her public statements, but we're also seeing that you know while she is making these comments, uh, she's going to I think she was in in Africa earlier this year as a member of some kind of you know like kind of shadowy uh, military. Uh, Something. I mean, she. I think she basically tweeted about it and said that she couldn't really talk about what it was. Uh, so, and and of course, you know, Greenwald and and these other guys, they never ever ever address that part of it, right? They don't address that part. Of it. I, I don't even think that they really even said anything about it. With with, I think you know, there was maybe one or two exceptions um, of their hangers on, but like none. You know, none of these none of these guys who who have bigger names like Greenwald, like uh, like uh, uh, failed comedian Jimmy Dore. Um, you know, Max Blumenthal, uh, the anti-vax guy at, at Gray Zone. I mean, these, these guys were big, big Gabber boosters, and they just take this approach to her where they just kind of ignore anything uh, that they just don't want to hear or don't want to talk about. Um, and I know that you've seen this too, Sana. What, 
what do you think that's about? I mean, do you think that it's, it's just kind of cynical? Uh, do you think that it's just, they're just too lazy to, to, to try to address this, so they just ignore it? Or do you think that it's, you know, they know what's going on, but um, it just, you know, it's not, it's not particularly useful to have an actual critique of power. So, so they just kind of ignore it. I mean, or, or do you think it's something different? Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, I think it's a mix of different things. And I've been trying to figure it out for a minute now. I think a lot of it comes down to the, the fact that I, I do think we underestimate how there are a lot of people who I think generally would consider themselves leftists based on a few positions here and there or whatever, um, or completely ideologically, but that I think we underestimate how powerful a lot of, um, especially kind of the, the, the war on terror kind of ideology and rhetoric has been uh, on, on a lot of people where that a lot of deep seated um, biases are kind of tapped into very easily. Um, if it's packaged in a way that seems also contrarian to um, uh, it's, it's, it's contrarian for contrarian sake almost. Right. Which is how I've been. I feel like, you know, Greenwald in a way took that position and made it into his entire politic in addition to just a general grift. But um, but I do think that there are people who like, yeah, absolutely. Like it makes sense that Gabbard went to, you know, ubiquitous Africa, right. Just this whole damn continent. Um, as I think she went as like, a, am trying to remember. She went as like a, some sort of, it was like a civil something officer and it was some sort of liaison. Yeah. Yeah. It was a liaison. And I wasn't sure for, for on whose behalf, which was really weird. And then on top of that, it was supporting, a special forces mission to go after Al Qaeda affiliated, affiliated um, uh, militants in, and I, I was like, well, where is this? And also like what special forces? Um, and you're right. Like the fact that there was no questioning of that. Um, she even notably they, doesn't even say like what country. She just no, says that doesn't. She just says Africa, which is like, okay. I mean, I'm assuming I'm like considering she said AQ affiliated, affiliated people. Like I'm assuming that like, that's going to be West Africa since there's a lot over there as well. So that that was my, I think, initial assumption that she's in West Africa. And we know that's been happening in Mali in particular with a disaster with uh, with also France there uh, and who've left now. But um, so so I think like, which is weird because if she's going there to support special force, a special forces mission, then she's going there, right, with the military. She's not just going there as some individual person, independent woman who's like, I'm going here and independently working with the special forces. No, she's clearly working in some sort of an official capacity, which is not being made clear. Um, and so to me, the whole thing was weird. And I think a lot of people didn't question it because she has really positioned herself as against the grain, even though everything she's done since her career really jumpstarted has been with a party, right? She's not some sort of independent hero or anything of that sort who's not who's you know separated from from the establishment that she claims to critique she's very much so a part of it um, and of course the greatest uh, you know purveyor of violence in in this world as we know is the US military um, and so which she is a part of which she supports very very openly loudly and proudly um, and I, I think like, I'm still trying to honestly figure out as to what the exact reason is that so many people have bought into so many people that I thought would be a bit smarter than this um, have bought into her, her shtick. Um, and the only thing I can think of is that it's almost like that hate liberals at any cost, even if that means like allying yourself with fascistic people, which is a, which is not a politic. That's just stupidity. Um, and that's, that's one of the main things that comes to mind quite honestly. Um, is that yeah yeah i mean it's certainly unsettling um to see that reaction i think that uh you know i mean there is like a sense of like uh hero worship uh to it um you know that i mean we still you know we saw that with uh with bernie we saw that with with Biden, with Hillary, we see, I mean, you, you see that with, you see that with basically any like politics. Did you right? see, do you remember how people, well, I say people, I should say specifically men and sp like straight men acted when she posted videos of herself working out. Like there's also an yeah. element of that, that I think a lot of people are really unwilling to, you know, um, to address, but it's very obvious. Like you see it in, in the responses and replies to her tweets and whatnot, um, which is really gross to to see as a woman, but um, there is, I think, 
is it a big element? I can't speak to that. Is it an element? Yeah, you see that. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 certainly uh, an element, and I think that. But I think that it's also like uh, there is this sense that you know that people just were so desperate for for any kind of hope uh, with the with the kind of collapse of the Sanders campaign in 2016. And I think that the ramifications of that are still being felt and like the way that it shaped a lot of people's politics. And she was just right there uh, to pick it up. Um, you know, I mean, it's not all just like, you know, kind of sweaty guys, like looking over her photos, like, like Michael Tracy. Like, it's also like, you know, like people who consider themselves anti-imperialists as we've, as, as we've said. So um, I, I want to shift a little bit to kind of talk about what she's doing now though with you, because I'm interested in how, you know, like, what do you think of this uh, open social conservatism that she's embracing once again? Like, 20 years after she kind of left that behind, um, when she, maybe like 15 years after she left that behind, uh, when she decided that she wanted to be a Democrat on the national stage, now that she no longer wants to be a Democrat, and now that she lives in California, uh, you know, where she's kind of becoming a media figure, and I believe, I believe, uh, is revving up to run for the 2024 uh, GOP nomination, presidential nomination, at least running for it. Um, how do you how do you think that you know that translates uh, to the way that people had this perception of her? You know, as you said, she did apologize for for her uh, previous position on on gay rights, uh, but you know, it's, it's very hard to argue that uh, that that apology. Uh, means anything given what she's saying now. Um, she's uh, virulently transphobic, not that that makes her any different than Greenwald or, or, or many of her supporters, but, um, you know, this is just this general sense of um, social conservative views and positions uh, that she has been taking. Um, and she seems to be really embracing, you know, the idea of cancel culture. And, I mean, it does seem like she's really targeting this right-wing audience and, uh, you know, you have seen some, like, fraying of support, I guess, a little bit. But a lot of people, I think, on the left, she's kind of taking with her, uh, at least on some of these issues. Um, or at least, like, they believe that, that this stuff doesn't matter too much. Uh, what's, what's your sense of, of what she's doing and why here? Yeah, um, I think that uh, she is seeing, and I think it's an astute observation um, and an obvious one at that, um, that she's seeing that there's a certain social tide that has come and uh, and uh, and she's basically, um, what's the idiom that I'm trying to look for here, where she's kind of not throwing her eggs or parking her wagon here. I don't know, one of those things. Um, but she she's seeing that there is a, A, I think she sees that there is, of course, a lot of um, social capital or political capital uh, and clout to be made when it comes to taking on reactionary conservative positions, right? Um, I think one of the things that a lot of liberals, a lot of leftists as well, although I do know quite a few leftists who, who've discussed this in the past and past few years, uh, I think they really underestimated um, where this country politically politically, so not, I'm not talking about, you know, actual everyday people, but politically as it will be at when it comes to civil rights, uh, when it comes to LGBTQ civil rights, right? Um, I mean, as we know, like, we're still fighting also for, for civil rights for other minor, minority groups, especially as we look at, of course, the black community. Um, and just because we've made so many incredible waves in, in, in LGBTQ civil rights in the last, even just the last five, six years alone, um, I think there's this tendency to think that, well, cool, we've made a lot of progress, like we're good. Uh, and unfortunately, I think what we're seeing now is that there is, uh, it is very easy to um, build up fear incrementally until you can kind of, you know, push the pedal to the metal and go all in, which is what we're seeing right now. Um, and, and I think you're going to see a lot more of that kind of adoption um, because I do think there are a lot of people who are kind of in the middle of things who just don't know much about what is quote unquote being taught in schools and whatnot. And so out of fear, they, they, they listen to conservatives or, or reactionaries or people who might be presenting themselves as moderate and, and then, you know, kind of espousing these really reactionary um, uh, perspectives and support for uh, legislation um, and, and kind of saying like, yeah, maybe there's a point there. 
maybe there is a really good point there actually about this and not realizing, you know, what are these laws, whether it's in te- the anti-trans bill in Texas, whether it's a don't say gay, don't say gay bill in or law now in, in Florida, like not actually realizing what this entails for uh, an entire generation, oh, entire generation of children and, and even more. Um, and I think someone like Gabbard probably sees this and I wouldn't also, you know, be surprised. This is also just how she feels, right? Like I think it's not always necessarily a grift. It's easy to say it's a grift, but it's not necessarily all, always a grift. There are a lot of people who genuinely believe these things. And so that could be the case. I don't know. I can't speak to that. Um, but I think that she does see at least, at the very least, an opportunity here um, and is uh, hitching her wagon to it. That was the one I was looking for, hitching her wagon to it, because she knows that this particular issue um, with regards to gender and sexuality is not going to go away. It's going to keep getting bigger. Um, and unfortunately, reactionary politics do tend to have a lot more weight than we would like to give them when it comes to things like elections and whatnot. And, and this is also why you're probably going to see the Democrats, right, move um, probably a bit further to the to the right uh, in the next election. Um, uh, I, like I would not be, we already know they're going to do that on, on police. They're already doing that on police. But when it comes to issues of gender in particular, I don't think they would backtrack on things relating to like, you know, um, uh, the gay communities. But I think regarding specifically gender trans issues, I think we may see a little bit of backtracking from the Democrats about this as well, because they're going to see that. I mean, they're looking also at Virginia, right? What happened in, in, in the in the governor race here. So um, I think, yeah, I think Tulsi saw that and jumped on it. That's I think it's something of that sort. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, one thing about Gabbard that that people should not forget is that she is uh, incredibly intelligent and she has very very good political instincts so you know if, if you see her taking a position yeah. um it may you know it it, it may be you know a, a loathsome uh thing for her to say it may be something despicable uh but that doesn't mean that it politically uh you know is not like that there's not like a smart reason behind it uh, as far as you know her decisions and what she's mm-hmm. doing, um, you know, like there's a reason that um, that she has has pivoted to kind of, uh, you know, taking this uh, Tucker Carlson esque, you know, right wing uh, positions on things and 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 making these moves. Now, again, as I said, I I think that it is because she has political ambitions. Uh, it could easily be that she just wants to have a right wing media career. Um, it is kind of hard to like square that up though with her uh you know like working with special forces right like she's obviously still working within the government and working with the government you know despite no longer being uh you know an elected representative so she's kind of like one foot in one foot out of of the public sector and kind of and the same you know with the private sector and it, it's just an interesting place to be uh especially for somebody who you know is always trying to portray herself as as this um you know like like independent voice right yeah no absolutely and i will say like i i do think she has political aspirations but i would not be surprised I don't, I don't see her become, I shouldn't say this, uh, but because I don't want to manifest anything, but I don't see her becoming a real contender for the presidency, at least in 2024, just because she's not currently holding political office. Uh, I mean, or sorry, wait, that doesn't matter anymore. But, um, you know, she, she, she's not as much in the public eye as she is, for instance, maybe on Twitter, if that makes sense. Right. So I don't think that I don't foresee her as someone who's going to be a formidable candidate or a real candidate in in the way that I don't think she was necessarily a formidable candidate in 2020. But I think she was a very present candidate, president, present candidate. And people knew her and enough about her at that time um, where she you know, could get up on stage and people knew exactly what she was about as well. I don't think that's going to be as easy for her in 2024. That being said, um, you know, obviously, we know that, I mean, all things, I guess, pending if Trump he will run again, um, runs for the, uh, for the, for the presidency, I would not be surprised. And, and if he's successful, I would not be surprised to see Gabbard on that team at all. And yeah, I think like, for like someone like, cabinet. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, for someone like, I see Gabbard as someone who would probably end up, because you're right, she is extremely politically sharp. And I think it's very easy to lose sight of that when you loathe someone's politics. But it's true. She's extremely politically sharp, which is why I think she's hitched her wagon onto, onto the, the, this, the culture wars. And um, uh, I think I see her as possibly going the route of vice presidency or um, defense. I, I can definitely see that. Yeah, certainly possible. I mean, I you know, uh, another thing to remember is that in 2020, uh, you know, she was, again, portraying herself as this independent, anti-imperialist voice. Uh, the minute that it became clear that Biden was going to be the nominee, she, like, instantly flipped uh, to being, like, you know, to being very, very, like, obsequious towards him, uh, defending him against attacks, uh, you know, endorsed him rather quickly. Uh, you know, and then has has gone on to uh, uh, onto some Fox shows. Uh, 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 you know, I'm notably thinking of of Carlson's uh, to defend. Uh, you know, like uh, these just kind of barbaric um, uh, attacks on civilians that that you know have have been ongoing, obviously through the you know 20 plus years of of this of this uh, war on terror, but uh, so called war on terror, but. Um, you know, I, I think that it's important to to note that kind of stuff that, you know, that she's not the type of person who is going to uh, stand by these uh, principles that she has uh, any longer than they become politically inconvenient for her. Um, so I, I, I think that that is an important point uh, to understand, you know, when you're talking about when we, you know, we are talking about her political instincts and her, uh, you know, desire to to kind of continue to excel uh, on the political stage. Uh, you know, part of that is having good instincts and, and knowing when to take positions earlier than other people. And part of it is knowing, like, when to kiss up to people and when not to. Um, and that's certainly, you know, what she has done and probably what we would see. I, I, I would push back a little bit, though, on what you said about her... Um, you know, not having a huge presence anymore and that that might, you know, hurt her uh, on the national stage. Uh, she is on Fox quite frequently. And if she is running for the GOP nomination, as as I believe that she uh, may well do, uh, she doesn't need to be anywhere else because Fox is, yeah, that's is, a good point. is Fox is the media arm of the Democratic Party. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's just no there's just no way that like uh that like if she doesn't go on cnn if cnn msnbc just report on her negatively that i mean that really only helps her right um, right and you know kind of speaking of that i will say that one of the more frustrating things about uh how gabbard is covered and how she is perceived um is this idea that she is some sort of a russian sleeper agent um in in the government obviously like i know that you uh Neither of us believe that, but a disturbing amount of, of liberals do, uh, Democrats. And I think the part of that has been, you know, kind of intentionally uh, promoted by the likes of like Hillary Clinton and also a lot of the media personalities on MSNBC, in particularly, um, and, and, you know, like contributors there. Uh, but it's, it's a pretty ridiculous line of attack, and I think that what it really does is it does a very similar thing to what the uh, constant harping on Russia did uh, for Trump, is that it kind of allows valid criticism of, of these right-wing figures to be flattened down and dismissed because it's part of an ongoing uh, kind of conspiracy theory. Um, and unfortunately, we are still seeing that with Gabbard, although it is like very clear uh, that she... I think is not a Russian agent. Um, she she does not ap appear to have any uh, close affiliation with that government. She has a very close affiliation with the U.S. government, um, as as we've been talking about. Why do you think that this uh, conspiracy theory is so pervasive, and why do you think that people are just using it rather than you know criticizing her on any you know one of the many 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 things she could be criticized on? Well, first of all, I think it's amazing that there's so many liberals, Democrats who believe that, you know, a 
because <laughs> right the conspiracy theory is that she's a paid Russian asset um, those are my two two of my favorite words in the world together Russian asset um, that a paid Russian asset would be on a mission with spe- US special forces okay all right is that how that works like it's I mean it's a really incredible it's brain worms it's complete brain worms when you actually start to dissect it um, also the fact that there's no proof of this and all of that I think the reason why it sticks is that, um, I mean, I think the whole, the the entire narrative on Russia for the last however many years, but especially since, I mean, it started a little bit prior to Trump taking office, but especially since Trump took office. I mean, there was this idea that these things are, our, our country is fine. The problem is kind of coming from outside. It's these outside provocateurs, saboteurs who are trying to sabotage our democracy and so and therefore it's russians as opposed to kind of look taking a hard look in the mirror and being like maybe the call is actually coming from inside the house like maybe all these calls are coming from inside the house and that's not to say as we've already seen proof of right that of course like many other countries not just russia but we also saw evidence of israel obviously we know with the uae etc doing things um whether it was buying a crap ton of bots to like, you know, inf- or ads and whatnot on Facebook, et cetera, to, to inflate, uh, you know, numbers for certain uh, pages or, or create bots who are extremely right-wing reactionary, who were maybe anti-BLM, like all these things. Like we've seen that happen. Is that enough to actually, you know, change the course of the entire American political structure and everyone's political beliefs? No, not so much in terms of the evidence that we have. Um, and so, I think this tendency, this belief, this like uh, this liberal belief in particular of like the Russian asset is rooted in, in this idea that like our country was like our country is still fundamentally good and that the biggest threat to our democracy is not within, but it is actually from outside. Right. Um, and that's, I think, kind of rooted in this West Wingian uh, like liberalism, uh, liberal belief of like what. American democracy, what American politics, whether you're right or liberal, um, actually looks like. So I think there's that. I mean, it's kind of an esoteric answer, but um, but that's that's always the first thing that comes to mind. No, I think I think I, I think that's right. Um, I think I would agree with that. I mean, it, it's at 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 its at its most base. I mean, like the 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 issue is that um, that like you're saying, like the call cannot be coming from inside the house. And so it must be coming from outside. We have a caller here. Uh, we're going to take uh, Skilled, I think, is, is, is how we're going to pronounce that. Go ahead. You're ready to go, caller, if you want to unmute yourself. Hi. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. You're good. Go ahead. Okay. Um, well, first of all, it's not my real name. Um you know, I think when it comes to uh, Tulsi Gabbard and, you, you know, the the big thing that people have pointed to to say, oh, she's anti-imperialist is Syria, right? That she's uh, against, um, you know, American intervention, at least against the Syrian government of Assad. And um, it, to me, that doesn't, Sorry. Um, and but the thing is, she's not really doing it for an anti-imperialist reason. It's more of a Cold War throwback, because back in the Cold War, the American government, their big concern foreign policy-wise was to make sure that other people had anti-communist governments. And she's just sort of updated that with anti-Islamist, you know, governments. And that's why we see her supporting uh, governments that she sees as against that, such as Assad, Syria, and, of course, uh, Narendra Modi's uh, India. And uh, I I guess that's all I wanted to really say. Yeah, no, no, no. I I mean, I think think that's... that's, uh... That's definitely, you know, a really good point. Um, uh, Gabbard's Islamophobia has been a uh, pretty well-documented issue 
Um, you know, I, I, I feel like, I feel like even though we did touch on it, maybe we didn't even talk about it that much. Um, you know, we only have about like 10 minutes left, so that's not really like enough time to talk about like just how virulent and, uh, hate filled, um, her, her anti-Muslim bigotry is, but, uh, suffice to say that you can find this stuff. Um, I'll, I'll post a couple links to, uh, you know, some of my work on this there. There's a lot out there. Um, she is, she is one of the, one of the top, I think, Islamophobes, um, uh, who, who has been in, in Congress recently. Um, you know, just, just a real, uh, uh, heartfelt, uh, hatred, um, for, for Muslims, uh, that, uh, you know, does, does kind of come out of, I think her background, um, you know, her, her dad's, uh, uh, brand of conservatism as well as, uh, uh, the the religious group that she that she uh, you know grew up as a part of that you know kind of has prophesied her to be a uh, a, a, a big you know mover and shaker in 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 politics uh, as as part of their kind of you know general outlook on the world. This is the uh, Chris Butler uh, cult in Hawaii, uh, but. Um, you know, but like, and and but this, you know, the, the Butler uh, cult itself uh, has a lot of pretty intense, like social conservative and other conservative views, including um, Islamophobia and you know this hatred of of Islam. And I think that, I think that, I mean, I think that you're you're right. And I'll hand over to Sana here in a second. But um, but I, you know, an, another thing about Syria, and I really don't want to get into a whole debate about uh, the Syrian war. But you know, uh, I I think that people like Gabbard. I'm not going to directly speak uh, for her here because I'm not really sure what, what her position on, is on this. But well, other people with similar views uh, about uh, Islam and the so-called war on terror uh, to Gabbard uh, had no problem with Syria when you know the U.S. was shipping people over there to get tortured, uh, where you know renditioning people over there um, like that, like it was totally fine. So um, there. A lot of what they say can kind of, I think, be dismissed as 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 kind of opportunistic. But uh, yeah, go ahead, Sana, and I'll, I'll let you I'll let you address those points too. Yeah, no, I'm just going to mention one one thing in particular, which I think was really frustrating for me personally, and I know for a lot of members of my communities, which is that, you know, like trying to talk to leftists and explaining them const- to them constantly like, um, hey, this is why this person is not someone that we should be supporting um, for ABCD reasons and actually providing all these reasons uh, only to be dismissed as like, you know, and uh, this happened with me for the couple people, including even Greenwald <laughs> insinuated as much. And I was like, what um, was, uh, you know, insinuated as just being Hindu phobes. Right. Like just being called a Hindu phobe, um, which is actually really interesting because it uh, also came at the same time that the organization, the Hindu American Foundation, which is an extremely right wing organization, started uh, using that term a lot. Um, And they are renowned for kind of taking uh, taking a lot of pages out of the Hasbara handbook. And Hasbara, if you know, is like the uh, Israeli propaganda um, abroad, especially. But um, so. So, you know, kind of also being dismissed because, oh, because you are Muslim, therefore your perspective on this is skewed automatically versus like, you know, and I think that was really frustrating and it really opened my eyes to the, unfortunately, the extent of how anti-Muslim bias and bigotry is very common uh, amongst the left as well um, here in the United States. Like, I'm obviously not talking about the entire, because it's very massive uh, community of people around the world. But here in the United States, I saw that as, here and in the UK, I should also say I've seen that. But, um, you know, seeing that I think was super disheartening uh, as someone who, who you know, sits in these two communities as a Muslim and as someone who is uh, a leftist as well. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was very frustrating. And it still is like to see the same people um, you know, I actually had with one with one very vocal supporter of, of Gabbard, I had a very long private conversation because he's someone I very much so respected for a long time. I've known him for a very long time. We used to be friends at one point. And, um, you know, I sat him down, had an entire conversation, brought out every single receipt, came out with her entire voting record. I put in all that work only at the very end to be dismissed as a Hindu phobe. And I think that was for me kind of like, all right, well, <laughs> that's 
that's enough of that. Um, and I think yeah, like it's very important I, for people. So I, I, I just want to say this one thing just before uh, before you you continue, just to say that like a lot of the people who we're referring to, you know, whether or not we're naming them or not, are people who you know spent like. 10, 15 years, basically up until Trump, talking about how much, like, they cared about, like, uh, you know, the Muslim community, the victims of the so-called war on terror, the victims of, of U.S. surveillance and torture and rendition, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but uh, very, very obvious and very quickly that they didn't actually care about any of those things uh, because of the way that they uh, responded. Uh, yeah, yeah but it's because the war on terror and Palestine in particular was a good grift for them, right? They got their book deals. They got, um, you know, they became the spokespeople for talking on issues of Palestine as well uh, to crowds, especially because they were, you know, white men who were able to talk to this, um, but not exclusively, of course. Um, and then, you know, when and then immediately they forgot all those structures of security and imperialism and whatnot everything fell apart when they started you know with one particular person um i mean i, I don't have a problem naming people but with max blumenthal a few years ago i had a very public um you know argument with him about gabbard and i i i said explicitly i was like you do know that gabbard's position on israel are extremely pro-israel are extremely a Zionist, like she's not an ally in the way that you're making her out to be, and that you're telling me that she is an ally to my community, uh, like Muslim community, etc. And he actually said, he's like, I think we can put that aside, like her her position on Israel, we can put that aside because not bombing Syria is more important. And I just thought it was a very interesting. I'm like, even if this is a pragmatic approach to politics, really interesting how we switch our positions, right, like that quickly. That it's okay that we like he said it was okay to ally with Zionists if it was it was that's what he later went on to say was it was okay to ally with Zionists if they were on our side and I was like this is not my side if that's like if that's the side that you're defining um, but I think like yeah it was it was very disheartening and, and depressing to see but it also for me kind of charged me up a bit more to really call it out in in in, in the amongst leftists and really to challenge a lot of leftists to rethink the way they even use a lot of you know, Guat, uh, global war on terror terminology, which has been so um, normalized. And even like, you know, thinking about, um, you know, when you call fighters like jihadis, right? Like that kind of terminology is, is super problematic because all these words are not innocuous. These words actually have a root in something and are used to also further demonize and criminalize Muslim communities around the world. Um, that also, I mean, look, when we even look at what what's, what's going on in China, right? Like, I, for the, you know, it was interesting because you can have an entire debate about the Uyghur situation as well. But I saw so many leftists who were saying, well, this is de-radicalization. These are de-radicalization camps, which I'm like, that's not okay. Wait, hold on a second. De-radicalization camps are still de-radicalization camps, whether it's China doing it or United States doing it. Right. And I think we need to be, be, a, be, a, be a bit more honest about, you can push back against State Department propaganda, absolutely. But let's not pretend that de-radicalization camps are a good thing in any way, because it's still part of the same global war on terror ideology and security framework that I thought we were all, I thought we were here to dismantle that or kind of at least begin to dismantle that thinking. Um, so it's been a it's been a really unfortunate wake up call of how normalized, uh, you know, anti-Muslim bigotry and ideas are um, and how leftists themselves will end uh, many leftists i won't say all obviously but many leftists themselves especially with platforms large platforms will uphold the global war on terror security apparatus which has you know criminalized demonized uh and and killed millions yeah a uh a depressing but good point to end it on i think because it does i mean like we are just talking about this hypocrisy and and the way that it it affects these uh communities and and of course um gabbard is a symptom of of a larger problem that you're describing um and i think that honestly like that's probably like a much a much longer conversation uh so maybe maybe when you come back to talk about france uh we can we can kind of try to tie it back to the U S a little bit like that, or, or, or maybe we'll just have you come back 
separately as well uh, to talk about that. But uh, Sana, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Where can people find your work? And um, can can you can you just tell us again? I know that you talked about mm-hmm. it at the top of the show, but just a little bit about what you have coming out next week. Yeah, totally. So um, I work for AJ Plus, and I have a show on there called Backspace, which is a media critique show, and we look at kind of how the big stories are told in U.S. media and how maybe we can rethink um, the way the framework or the frame framing of these stories as well. So we've done episodes on uh, China, uh, Afghanistan, um, the so-called cancel culture on Gaza or Palestine as well, how that is covered in U.S. media. Um, and our episode next week is on France, uh, dropping on uh, the 21st. And it's kind of looking at how uh, maybe the better way to understand and cover France, French identity, Islam in France, is looking at France as a failed nation, as a country that failed to build a nation um, that reflects the demographics and history uh, of the people that occupy that land or like live within that land, inhabit that land. And so, um, yeah, that's going to be the next episode. We've got episodes coming on eco-fascism on both the, on with amongst both liberals, amongst both liberals and uh, the right wing. Uh, and also a long episode on um, uh, uh, terrorism and kind of exactly what we're talking about today, the global war on terror, how it's also discussed and um, propelled in uh, the U.S. media. Excellent. Certainly looking forward to that. Well, uh, Sana, thanks so much. Um, everybody listening, and you know, if you're listening live or on replay on the app, please uh, be sure to subscribe to the show so you can get updates as we go live uh, for shows and and for when you know when we post the the replays. Um, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please you know give us a follow and a rating, preferably high. Thank you. Um, and uh yeah so we will see you guys later this week uh thanks again to sana saeed and uh happy birthday tulsi all right bye guys happy birthday